Well, uh, praise God. As the children go, uh, let's open up that passage of Scripture that was just read for us in Acts chapter 4. And I'll remind us again, when we look at this passage of Scripture, there's so much high drama here. You know, there's so much tension that happens to be again in this passage of Scripture. It's absolutely amazing uh, to really look at. We realize that what has just gone on, Peter and John have uh, healed this man who happened to be again lame uh, uh, all of his life. And it created, again, a stir, a religious fervor, and they came forward, and Peter began to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that 5,000 people came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but the religious leaders were so infuriated that they put him in jail overnight, hopefully, again, to intimidate them. The next morning, they come forward, you know, and here they ask, by what authority, by what name, by what right do you have to do these things? And remember, this was, this was a daunting uh, board that they were, they were appearing before. You know, and here, Peter all of a sudden begins to speak. And he begins to speak, and he says it again very plainly, that they have done this miracle. They have preached in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he turns to the table, because they're on trial. He turns to the table and puts the onus back on them and says, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the grave. In other words, this is God's man. This is God's Messiah. And then he even goes further, and he says, there's salvation found in no one else but the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and it's incredible because they just don't know how to respond to this. They're astonished again at this answer. Here they thought they were going to intimidate them, but there was no such thing. So they dismissed them. They talk about themselves, what they should do. And it's a fascinating passage of Scripture because the thing that you would think, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that they would discuss, is Jesus alive from the dead? You know, do we find these things in the Old Testament? Are we, are we these ones, these builders who have rejected the, key, uh, the uh, chief cornerstone? And there's none of that discussion that goes on. And last time we were together, we looked at verse number 17, but it says, but in order that it may spread no further, and that it, remember what it is, is the gospel, it may spread no further among the people. Let us warn them to speak no more, no, no, to, no more to anyone. And then they say this, in this name. And you can imagine, you know, the demeanor that it's said in. Their hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ is so strong that they can't even say his name. It's it. It's this name. You can almost imagine the disgust that happens to be again right there. You know, and this is a warning, isn't it? It's a warning that if you continue in the activities that you are doing, if you continue to publish the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you keep going in this direction, there's going to be consequences. In other words, there's going to be an outcome. There's going to be repercussions, and it's not going to be pretty towards you. And remember, these are the very same people. These are the very same individuals. That's why they're named in this passage of Scripture. This is Sanhedrin. These are the very same ones that condemned the Lord Jesus Christ to death. So when we come to verse number 18, we see this acted out, don't we? So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And remember, these are the authorities that happen to be, again, um, uh, that, that happen to be. You know, and they have an alliance with Rome. And it's basically this. If they support Rome, they are allowed to rule the people of Israel. And so when they give this edict, stop preaching in the name of Jesus, it really has teeth behind it. You know, it really has force behind it. There will be repercussions if you keep going. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, because we realize the whole idea is intimidation. The whole idea, again, is to really lord this over them at this time. And you wonder, 
You know, in the providence of God, we know what happened. And God, again, controls, again, all things, all circumstances. You know, he's directing um, the course of human history to an intended end. But you wonder what would happen if the disciples caved at this time. You know, um, we realize, again, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there's more difficult things to come. But you wonder if they would have caved at this time. They would say, hey, this is, the, this is not the time. This is not the fight. This is not the battle. We can do more good behind the, behind the scenes. Let's just agree to keep silent, at least, at least publicly. You know, if they weren't convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was only one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved, you wonder how all church history will would have been different. You know, I even wonder, again, in church history, if we would be sitting here, if we would have a church at all. Remember, this is the only church that exists at this time. There's no church outside of Jerusalem. You know, it hasn't spread. It hasn't gone out to Judea. It hasn't gone out to Samaria. It hasn't gone out to the uttermost parts of the world. You know, and if they fail to stand boldly here, you wonder how the whole history of the church would have gone. In fact, John MacArthur writes about this. He comments, this is an important crossroads in the history of the church. Had the apostles acquiesced to the Sanhedrin's demand, all subsequent church history would have been radically different. Everything hinged on their willingness to obey God at all costs, even their lives. You know, and this is really life and death, isn't it? You know, and remember, they're to go into all the world, and things are not to get easier. They are to get more difficult. You know, and I think this is a radical reminder to each one of us that there's some things worth living for. In fact, there's some things worth dying for. There's some things that are so glorious, so grand, so, again, awe-inspiring, that capture our hearts, that capture our lives so much so that they're worth suffering for. You know, and that's the thing that happened to me again right here. Their heart for Jesus Christ. Because I'm amazed as we look at the text that we're going to look at this morning, how it's often used because of our frustrations in life, our anger in life. When we don't like something, when we don't like what the boss says, when we don't like what an official does, when we don't like some law that happens to be covered by the, uh, passed by the government. Many times, again, in, in our frustration, we come to this text. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, the text is gospel-oriented. The text is so Christ-oriented. I love Jesus Christ so much so that what comes out of me is a gospel-oriented life. And I wonder, as you look at your life, as you look again at the functionality of your life in all areas, if that's what comes out, you know, a desire to make known Jesus Christ, a desire to publish the Lord Jesus Christ, because I really want us to look at this text, and I want us to live gospel, Christ-centered lives for, for, for his glory. And, and let me tell you, it's the most useful, and it's the only useful life that we can truly live. You know, one that stayed upon him, one that announces him, one that revels in him. And I, and I want us to see that this morning, and I want us to understand the principle that's taught in this passage of Scripture. And then I want you to want to see how, how the disciples, how... Uh, Peter and John apply that to their lives. And I hope it will be helpful. I hope it will be challenging. I hope it will be encouraging. This passage of Scripture, many of individuals who have gone through suffering for the cause of Christ, for the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for this peculiar message that we are called to announce, have come to this passage of Scripture to find encouragement. My Christ, my God, my Lord, my Savior is worthy to be announced. 
And I want to see that this morning, and I hope it will be great encouragement to you. First of all, I want to see the principle, and it's, and it's found in their response beginning at verse number 19, because look at what Scripture says. It says, but Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. You know, the simple answer that they have is basically this. We're not going to stop preaching. We're not going to stop announcing the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to stop proclaiming that salvation is found in no other name than Jesus Christ. We're just not going to stop. You know, and when the love of the Lord Jesus Christ envelopes your heart, when it really controls your heart, let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, for somebody to say, stop announcing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, is almost like saying to a dog, stop barking. <laughs> Have you ever tried to do that? Stop, even, even more. It's, it's like that. And we're controlled by this love for this desire, even as we sang about this morning, for this one to be worshipped, this one to be trusted, this one to be lauded. You know, I think it's amazing when you look at this text, because when you look at the spirit of Christianity today, you have to encourage people many times, announce Jesus Christ. But right here, they're, they're commanding God. Don't preach him. Don't preach him. Oh, there's no way that we can do it. You know, and I think a lot of times we're more embarrassed by Jesus Christ. You know, if we'd really admit it, we're more embarrassed by Jesus Christ than thrilled by him. You know, and I want you to want to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, when you look at this text, this text, there's not anger, there's not frustration at these men. You know, their answer that they give, you know, to these authorities that happen to be uh, in front of them are filled with the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control, patience, all, the, all those nine aspects, you know, are coming out in this answer to them that happen to be right here. There's not anger, there's not frustration, there's not animosity. You know, I think there's a problem when we come to this text. You know, we, and, and, and it's basically twofold if it's going to be of any value uh, to us. One is that we have to know what the text means, don't we? We have to know what it says. We have to know the principle that is being proclaimed, that is being taught to us. And then we need to take that text and we need to bring it into our lives, into our situations, and apply it. I think so often we skip to the application, right? We quote a verse and then we give the application, and we haven't understood it. You know, and therefore, if we have not uh, understood it, we cannot apply it to our lives for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ properly. You know, so I want us to look at this because it's an amazing answer. You know, it's amazing even look at these individuals because it says, but Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than, than to God, you must judge. And remember, this is life or death stuff. You know, they're, 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 they're sitting there. And remember, these men are the, men are the men who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, who condemned him to death as a blasphemer. You know, these, these, these are the ones who brought them before the Roman authorities, you know, at this time, speaking that Jesus, again, was guilty of sedition going against the Roman authorities. And, and here's the amazing thing. Peter and John don't say this. You know, You've had time to deliberate, you know, as far as your answer. Why don't you give us an hour? Why don't you give us the afternoon? Why don't you give us the day and call us back in the morning, and we will give you an answer. There's none of that. And what I love right here is how radically Christianity, true, authentic Christianity, changes the Christian. 
Don't you love that? Because you, you'll, you'll, you'll uh, recall almost two months ago, right? They're bragging on that Passover Eve, you know, or that Passover day. We'd be willing to die for the Lord Jesus. And they all deserve. And here, there's no bragging. There's no arrogance. There's no pride. There's no puffed up, look at me. But what are they doing? They're walking in the spirit of Christ and they're able to stand even in the face of death for this Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the answer because it puts the religious leaders back on the defensive, right? You have to decide whether it's obedience to the authority or obedience to God. You know, he puts it right back again to them. And you see it, right? Whether it is right, that's the key. Whether it is right, whether it is the best, whether it's the authentic, whether it is uh, God's will, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, Rather than God, you must decide. You know, and please don't misunderstand the text because it's incredible. Like I say, how many people quote this and quote this and quote this and quote this anytime they want to break a law, anytime they want to go against an authority. You know, the God, God has established authorities that happen to begin in our life. He's established again for children. What? Parents. You know, they are to obey their parents. You know, we realize all of us have bosses, right? All of us have people that we are accountable to, and God has established those authorities, whether they happen to be pagan or whether they happen to be, again, Christian. And we also realize that with the government. You know, and, and listen to the will of God in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning of verse number 13. It says, be subject. In other words, be submissive for the Lord's sake, right? For the glory of the Lord to every human institution, whether it be the emperor. Now, anyone tell me who happens to be ruling at this time? Anyone know? Begins with an N, that's right, Nero, right? He's subject to this absolute godless man as supreme, or to governors, in other words, lesser officials as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to the praise of those who do good. And then he says this, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And listen to what he says at the end here. Honor Nero. Honor the emperor. You know, and what do you do by obeying the laws of the land? You, you quiet those, again, who want to bring any um, blemish on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who want to mock, who want to scorn, that name is that happens to be, again, above every name. Look at Christianity. Look at what it's all about. Look at what this call, again, to follow Jesus happens to be, again, all about. You put them to quiet. And it's not saying that we cannot speak. It cannot, it's not saying that we cannot use even our votes in the ballot box. But when you look at these men, they're controlled by the gospel. And the gospel, and, and uh, over in First Peter, were commanded to live quiet and peaceful lives. And think about it. Why are we to live quiet and peaceful lives? For one reason, that we can carry out the mandate that God has given us to make and mature disciples for the glory of God. It's not look at me. It's look at him. It's all about him. And that's the whole point of the verse. It's not what I, whether I think this is fair, what I th- th- think that is fair, you know, wh- whether I should pay this tax, whether I sh- shouldn't pay this tax. It says, whether it is right in the sight of God 
to listen. In other words, there's something that God has spoken, something that God has said. Right? So we have these two institutions, these two authorities. Both of them are ordained by God. Here is God in what he has spoken, and here is man in what he says. And we're going to obey both of them unless there's a collision, unless there's a disagreement, unless there's an impossibility of obeying one over the other. And this is what it's faced with. Do we obey you or do we obey God? And why? Because think of it. God has given them specific, Jesus Christ has given them specific and special revelation, hasn't he? He's spoken. He said, this is what I'm commanding you to do, and you are to do it. And what's that command? That command is what we call the Great Commission, isn't it? You know, you have it over in Matthew chapter 28, and it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? Go is a command, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here it is, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We saw it again at the beginning of this book in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And listen to what you'll be. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is God's will, right? It is gospel-oriented. You know, it's not about the anger. Man, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they instituted you know, you, you know, a lot of you are too young uh, to realize this, and a lot of you are old enough to realize this, but back in the mid-'80s, they had this thing enacted, and everybody was in an uproar. You know, all that was talked about in the church. And you know what it was? You know, it's something that everybody takes for granted today. And you know what it was? It was wearing a seatbelt. You remember that? How dare they tell me to buckle up? What's going to be next? How dare? There's no way. There's no way. I'm gonna, no, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. You know, and after a number of fines that were paid, people started buckling up. You know, but it's incredible, isn't it? You know, to look at these various different things. I mean, we talk about taxes, we talk about gun laws, we talk about all these things. We're saying, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, it's not right, it's not right, it's not right. And really, we've never asked, is this a gospel issue? Is this something beyond a shadow of a doubt that I cannot obey God? I cannot again proclaim its gospel when this is commanded. You know, I saw, I, I was really, I, I was grieved at night during the COVID crisis. I would, I would weep sometimes. And when I say I would weep, I would weep. And I would weep not just because of one sector or another sector, it's because we had these two opposing sectors, you know, and they were both angry. They were both frustrated. And I'm talking about believers. You know, you had one that happened to begin over here saying, we have to follow the laws of the land. And they were angry and frustrated. They didn't try to understand this other, these other individuals. Many of them, good individuals that wanted to follow Christ, that were seeking to follow Christ, seeking to look at the word of God and understand the word of God and glorify him and glorify the gospel. And they were just so angry at them, just so frustrated at them. You know, and then you had this other side that happened to begin over here. You know, this is the only will. There's no way anybody else can interpret the scripture rightly. And they condemned the other side, and they were so angry, and they were so frustrated. Let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, anger, that kind of anger against our brothers and sisters has nothing to do with the fruit of the Spirit of God. Right? I think a lot of times our anger, here it is, whatever time we have, 
We're not angry because somebody has broken God's law. God's glory is being trampled underfoot. We're not angry because of that. We're angry because somebody's trampled my freedoms underfoot. Somebody has endangered me. Somebody has done what I do not like, and it has nothing to do with the glory of Christ. That's not the attitude that you have here. You know, you've got to decide what authority that you will follow. For us, it's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. It's incredible how many churches split, how individuals left this church and that church. I can remember one week somebody sent me um, two email posts and one or two messages, and one was a news article that didn't allow anybody who was vaccinated to come out to their church. And then the next day, somebody else sent me another news article that said, you know, if you're unvaccinated, you're not welcome at our church. Let me tell you, that's unchristian. That is ungodly. That is ungospel. It truly is. That is not faithful to this passage of Scripture. So let me ask you again. Has your love for Jesus Christ so enveloped your soul that what you live is a gospel-centered life? It's about him, announcing him, glorifying him. Because let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, I get frustrated at the government. I get frustrated at the laws that haven't begun passed. But let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, as I look again at all of that frustration, that frustration should never detract from the mission that God has given us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to make and mature disciples that we want this Jesus to be worshipped and trusted and loved. It's so easy to stand against the government. But let me tell you, it's so easy. Let me say it again. It is easy to stand against the government, but it's a lot more difficult to stand for Jesus Christ. Who are we standing for? Who are we announcing? That's the principle that happens again right here. The specific revelation that's given to us by God. And we see this, this principle lived out in our lives. And you can see it in verse number 20. Because now he applies it with the word for, doesn't he? And he says, because of this, there's these two authorities. We're given direct revelation from God. He says, for we cannot but speak. Right? There's an impossibility. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Now think of it, because we know this verse. You know, over in John chapter uh, 14, in, uh, in verse number 15, it says, if you love me, you'll do what? You will what? Keep my commandments, right? And we realize that. And what he says when you look at this verse is love, right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, there's a love, right? right? It's not arduous. It's not onerous. It's not dead. It's not lifeless. But there's a joy. There's an intensity. There's a desire that happens to be again in us that wants to live out this Christianity, right? right? We realize that. Without that love, our obedience is nothing to God. You know, when we sing these hymns, we could go, oh, yeah, we're supposed to sing hymns. Let's go, let's go back and let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. We have to sing hymns. Here we go. We're going to sing these hymns. You know, worship our Lord or whatever it is. No, no, God's never glorified by that. God's glorified when we have a heart that wants to sing, worthy is he to be worshipped. Worthy is he to be lauded. All glory and honor to this one who is above. 
Right? And we realize that in life. Now think about parenting. Parenting is difficult. But you give your children a command, and how do they honor you? Right? You say, go clean your room. This is how they don't honor you. They go clean their room. Right? They do the bare minimum. They do it. You know, they walk out the room. They don't even look at you. And they've done the bare minimum. And you go in to investigate and see if it's done. And you get one of these. Right? Right? And you go in and you notice things that aren't done, things that need to be corrected. That's, that's, that's one obedience, is But you look at a child and says, I love mom and dad. I really desire to please them. And I'm going to go clean my room so I can see that smile on mom's face. I'm going to go do that will that God told me to do because I want to please my dad. And they invite you back in. And they're, will, will, and they're looking for that well done and when, when the well done comes, you can see the smile that happens to be on their face. Now, let me ask you, there's two types of obedience. Which one honors the parents? And the answer is the second one. Why? Because it's done out of love. And let me say, this is the same sort of um, love that you see in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. You see this all the way through the Gospel of John. It's amazing to look at the Gospel of John. Because Jesus tells us why he is doing what he's doing over and over. I've come to do the will of my Father. My delight is to do the will of my Father over and over. And when you look at, look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is not this stoic figure, you know, I've got to live this 30, lives, uh, 30 years out and go to the cross. It's one, again, of intensity, one of heart, one of Passion And why? Because he realizes the glory of his father and that he is worthy of obedience, so he obeys him. And let me say that this is the same in this attitude of Peter and John. You know, they're changed again. And so they say, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we've heard. And what, behind, what happens to be behind there, and I, and I want you to get this, is both a negative and a positive. The negative is this, we will not be silenced. And here's the positive. We're going to proclaim Christ. We're going to announce him, even if it costs us our lives. We're going to make him known. I mean, it's such an amazing answer, right? You can't, cannot help but speak of what we have seen. We have seen the resurrected Christ, but we've also done this. We've heard. We've heard his instructions. We've heard how he's going to be honored, how he's going to be glorified, how he's going to be praised, how he's going to be honored. Now, think of that, because I don't know how many individuals that come to this text and say this, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I was given that choice, if I would stand for Jesus. There there are many times even perplexed in this text because there's so much to lose that happens to be again right there. You know, what caused them? not to balk. What caused them to say this? It's an impossibility not to preach Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, it's a number of things. And one is, again, the reason why we can't understand the text, I think, is because of the spirit that happens to be again of the age that we live in, Christianity. I think Jesus, more than ever before, especially North American Christianity, more than ever before, is Jesus is an addition to our lives. Right? He's there to make our lives better. We're, we're going to bring him in. He gives us friends. He gives us good times. He gives us laughter again with that. But he's just an addition that happens again in our life. You know, and Christianity is not something that dominates our life. Jesus is not someone who dominates our life. But it's basically an addition. 
and I do Christianity, right? It's not who I am. It's not, again, my whole being. But it, that's a halo that's coming over me right now, in case you're wondering, okay? Okay? Um, uh, but, but Christianity is, is, is just an addition, right? And so when I come out to church, what am I doing? I'm doing Christianity. When I have Christians over to my house and we're going to talk about the Lord, we're doing Christianity. When you look at the early church, there was no thought of Jesus being an addition. But what Jesus was, was Master and Lord. In other words, when you look at Peter and John, there's no way, there's no way that we can stop talking. There's no way that we can but speak the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why? Because they're mastered by this one. They're mastered by Jesus Christ. He has totally enveloped them so much so that his will, Jesus' will, has become their will. And think of it, because that's why believers throughout the ages have even been willing to die for Jesus Christ and have gone to the cross, have gone to their crosses, have been burnt alive, have gone to to, uh, wild animals, been torn asunder. And the reason why is because of what uh, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. He says, uh, he says this truth. And listen to what it says. I have been crucified with Christ. And therefore, here's the outcome. It is no longer I who live, but, it, but Christ who lives in me. That's that life coming out. And he, then he says this. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who did what? Who loved me. And gave himself for me, right? This is the life of Christ. I am absolutely mastered and owned by him. Martin Lloyd-Jones quotes Count Zinzendorf of Germany as saying this, I have one passion. Think about this. You know, because of what Christ has done for me, because of who he is, because of his promises. I have one passion. It is he and he alone. And that's true Christianity. True Christianity, authentic Christianity, is to be mastered by Jesus Christ. And so, think of them. I cannot do anything else but speak Jesus Christ. Is that you? Does that describe you? Does that describe your life? That what comes out of you, your love for Christ, your passion for Christ, your joy, you're so mastered by him. You have to speak of Jesus Christ. And that leads again to the second point, again, I want to make. The reason why they cannot be silent, the reason why, again, they have to go on and announce it is not only that they're mastered by Christ, but they're compelled by it. And what I mean by compelled by it, it's what dominates them, what dominates their heart, what they truly love that happens to be again in their life. You know, think about it. Whatever we love most comes out, doesn't it? Whatever we love most, again, we want to talk about so if you love baseball, whatever your favorite baseball team is, you know, you love to talk about that. You know, if you love gardening, you love to talk about gardening. If you love materialism, you love to, buy, to, to talk about the new pur- purchases you, you made. But whatever you love most will, will, will boil out of you, will come out of you. I mean, I mean, it's the same as a layman, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine again what this layman, what occupied his heart? Right? Here's a friend, you know, he's 40 years old, and here's a friend he's known for 38 years. And what do you think he's going to talk about? You think he's going to talk about politics? Did you see that new tax that Rome just passed? You know, what, what's he going to talk about? Look at my legs. Look at, I can jump. 
Look, look, I can walk. Isn't this amazing? And then he'll go over that whole scenario. You know, just sitting there as I always did. You know, I was begging. I was hoping to get some money. And these two guys came and I could tell they were from Galilee. And I was hoping just to get a few coins from them because they didn't look wealthy or anything else like it. And they stopped to talk to me. And all of a sudden, and, and he would go through detail, detail. Do you want to hear the story again? Do you want to hear it one more time? Do you want to have a race? You know, this is what would occupy his heart, wouldn't it? And let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is what dominates the apostles, is their love for Jesus Christ. Their desire, again, for him. Remember the observation is so important in verse number 13, right at the end of verse, verse number 13. It says, again, of the Sanhedrin, and they recognize that they had been with Jesus. They would spent time with Jesus. They've seen him risen from the grave and conquered the penalty. And let me say it's the same with us. I think so often the gospel becomes stale in our hearts. Isn't it true? That Jesus came knowing that there would be a Kevin Scott. Jesus came knowing that my sin would separate me from this glorious, grand, amazing God for all of eternity. And he came and gave that offering. He came and gave me these stunning promises He came and said again that he would be with me to the end of this age. He came and said, you know, one day you're going to be singing in heaven, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory and praise forever. And he's given me this promise, this great hope. How can I not announce it? How can I not make it known? And I wonder how many times the gospel has become stale in our hearts. You know, the thing that occupied, the thing that compelled them was the love for their great Lord, for their great master, for Jesus Christ, to announce Christ. You know, so when you look at it, you say, we cannot keep silent. You know, we have to speak. And why? Because we've been mastered by Christ. We love Christ. And this is the third point that happened to begin right here. The reason why they said this is they recognized beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I think many times we forget this, the spiritual destiny of every single person we meet. Do you realize that? You know, and we know these things. And Peter and John knew, and here's these men who want to condemn them, want to execute them, want to silence them, and they're saying, these men are lost. These men are going to spend a Christless eternity. What do they need to hear? They need to hear the gospel. And I think, again, all of us realize this, you know, and all of us realize this, but I wonder if all of us realize this. Jesus talked more about hell, he talked more about the coming judgment than he did about heaven. And he he not only said that there's a hell, there's a judgment, but he goes on and describes it in vivid details as utter darkness, where the flame is never quenched, where the worm never dies. That it's internal in nature. In other words, it keeps going, it keeps going, and keeps going. And why? Because one has offended this righteous, this all-glorious, this all-just, this all-holy, this amazing God. You know, and this is a worthy punishment for us. But you know what? Here it is. God has made a way. He's made a way. You know, you see this in verse number 12. And there is salvation. This is what they announced to the Sanhedrin. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's a way. 
And think about it. Because most of the people I know, most of the people I encounter in the score of a week are on that broad road that leads to destruction. You know, and they're going there. And they're going there willfully. They're running. They're on that broad road. You know, think of your worst enemy, the one who has done you most harm. They're on that broad road. They're going to a place, again, an eternity. They're going to fall off the cliff. One day death will take them, and they will fall into the hands of a living God. And it's a fearful thing. And here's the thing. I know about a narrow path. I know a name that is above every name. I know the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder, as we look at this, has that truth really struck our hearts? Everyone that I know, have we ever prayed for our worst enemy? Have we ever prayed for the person that I'm talking to right here? Have we ever tried to direct the conversation in a gospel-oriented way to say, say even something about Jesus Christ? You know, they say, oh, to be silent, unthinkable. Unthinkable. We have to announce his name. And why? Because we are mastered. Why? Because we love him. Why? Because our love for Christ has compelled us, has caused us to love others, even our worst enemies that happen to be again in our lives. There is a fourth and final reason. There's probably many more. And the last one I want to name is basically this. And we know these, but, it, but I think we forget them. And here it is. Death is not the end. Is it? Death is not the end. You know, if death was the end, you, know, you stop preaching or we're going to kill you. Okay. You got me. I'm going to do it. Death is not the end. You know, and I know um, if you're not yet, you'll be looking at in, in the book of a revelation that there's a coming judgment. You know, and it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. But do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's a judgment for believers? You know, and it's a judgment for rewards. You know, it's more of a graduation ceremony where, you know, uh, Jesus Christ is going to be lauded for the changes, for the work that we've done in our lives. And any rewards that are given to us, we're going to be able to lay them at the Father's feet. But let me say beyond a before the sun's feet. But let me say beyond a shadow of that, we will be judged but for what we have done in this life and the opportunities that God has given us. You know, it says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse number 10, it says this, For we must all appear, speaking to believers, right? We must all appear before the judgment or the bema. This is a reward area. Bema seat of Christ. Now, why must we appear before this bema seat, this judgment seat? And that's what he says, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing, this is what we know, knowing the fear of the Lord. What do we do? What do we do? What comes out of us? What do we want to present? What is on our hearts? What is on our minds? We persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope, known also to your conscience. You know, for the Apostle Paul, for Peter, for John, there's no choice. Jesus Christ is the greatest authority. You know, and he's given us a clear command, each one of us. You know, we call it the Great Commission. We call it the mandate to make, to make and mature disciples for the glory of the Lord. 
And I would say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if Jesus didn't come, Jesus didn't give his life, if he didn't rise from the grave, then life would be absolute meaningless. It really would. But he has come. He has given his life. He has risen from the grave. And therefore, life is not just passing away. It's not empty. It's not hopeless. But there is a hope. And God has called us to live the most meaningful lives that we could ever live. And it's a life that announces he is risen. He has done it. Trust in him. May each of us be proclaimers of that one name, that one authority above every name and every authority. Let's bow our hearts. Father, what an amazing text. What a challenging text. So often, Lord, we look at this response, Peter and John. Lord, and we never enter the heart of it. We never enter into the passion of it. Lord, we many times see something that we don't like and something that might even be unbiblical. And Lord, we're trying to find a way of disobedience. We're trying to find a way to be obstinate. Uh, to oppose those who happen to be again even over us. But Lord, we realize when we are gospel-dominated, when we are mastered by Jesus Christ, Lord, when our greatest love happens to be him, there's a way that we live, there's a way that we function, there's a way that we speak in this world that happens to be around us. And I just pray, Lord, that we would so concentrate on the gospel, so learn of Jesus Christ, so be amazed at his wonderful mercy that is available um, uh, to us, Lord, that we would be proclaimers of this message, that we would take the opportunities, Lord, in the relationships and situations that you've given us to be those gospel heralds. We thank you so much, Lord. We just ask that you would be with us as we go to our time of the table. We thank you again in Christ's name. Amen. rest as he preached.